I'm used to having a stand, but I feel like I'm 25 feet high in that other building, man. I'm telling you. I like being able to preach and spit on people. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Got new people on the front row here. I'm talking about spitting on people. I'm not going to spit on you, I promise. But <clears throat> y'all want good news now or you want some good news at the end? You want it now? All right, well, she said now. And you said now, too, so that's it. Well, I got some pretty exciting news for you. Um, we're going to be expanding around here. Because, you see, I'm a firm believer that God always forms something, then he fills it. So he doesn't, he's not going to just waste it, right? If you just took water and poured it on the ground, I'd be kind of stupid. But if you took water and you took a jug and you poured water in a jug, now it's something to hold the water in. So we will be signing a lease within the next, I don't know, 10 days to acquire the suite on the end of this building. So you got us, got the pizza place, and you got the, there was a print shop. I think we're going to be getting that lease, and then we're going to be transforming that into our children's ministry. So we're going to go from having a glorified closet <laughs> to having a full suite for the kids. Check in. It's going to be secure. It's going to be be great. Brother Carl is going to be in charge of it. And y'all don't want me doing it. Y'all want him doing the construction. I can promise you that. But once that is done and the kids move over there, we're going to be knocking this wall out. We're going to be spinning the sanctuary around. The stage is going to be this way. We're going to be adding at least 30 more chairs to the building because we're too small for what God wants to do here. And I can tell you this, every single time in my life that I've seen a church go through, not just ours, any church, go through some type of building construction, growth always followed. Always, 100% of the time. So be excited about that. Be praying that there's no issues, hang-ups, and craziness. And we will be calling for some help, some grunt work, get some stuff done, of course. And so we'll let y'all know when that's happening. So just be excited about that. Y'all excited about that? I am. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, I started a series. This whole month is about reset. <coughs> reset and everything. It's going to be fantastic. And so we're resetting as a ministry. We're resetting as individuals. And everybody starts off the new year, and you reset 45 different things. How many of you said, I'm, how many of you got a New Year's resolution? You got to tell me what it is. How many of you made a change January, and you're going to stick with it? Anybody? Wow, okay. Well, let's start by this. Number one, action step from the message. Make a New Year's resolution and stick to it. Hallelujah, praise God. Anyway, boy, is this message on time. All right. But anyway, a lot of people do that. They often say that January is the most, the, the, the month that gyms are attended the most, and February is the month that gyms are attended the least because everybody quits. And everybody feels discouraged because they quit, and then they don't go back. And everybody, from what I understand, people who go to the gym all the time love the month of February because everybody stops going and messing everything up, right? I'm those people that make everybody else's February great. I like to start and never stick with it. But one of the problems is, is that we have an issue with our habits. Somebody say habit. This morning, last week I talked about resetting your perspective. This morning we're talking about resetting your habits. That's the message this morning. See, once my perspective is changed and I see things differently, my action that follows has to be habits. If I'm going to walk it out, what, what happened? What happened? What was wrong? Praise God. All right. Somebody make me look foolish up here. Watch yourself. Now, anyway. But, not me? All right, cool. But. 
So there's a guy, a pastor told me this story. A young guy's going to a church. This is a true story. The pastor told me. Going to the church, gets saved, gets his life right, goes to the top of ship track, joins the leadership team. I mean, the serving team. He's a greeter. He's an usher doing all the things, literally going through leadership track to become a leader in the ministry, but is battling shame and guilt and cannot get over it. And it's almost two years. And constantly, over and over again, he's struggling and can't kick the shame, goes to altar calls, goes to freedom weekends, does all the things to try to get free from the shame and guilt that he's carrying, and it just doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to work. He can't get free from it. And then one day, he walks into service on a Sunday morning with his face shining like the sun, gigantic smile on his face, runs up to the pastor and said, Pastor, I figured it out. I, 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 I'm good. I figured out why, why I can't seem to just ever get right in everything. I'm like, okay. And he says, he looks him straight in the face and yells, Christians don't get high. And the pastor's like, right. He's like, no, I don't think you understand. Christians don't get high. And he's like, the pastor literally is just, okay. This guy was using, never stopped using, didn't know it was wrong to use, was still taking the same pills. He, he quit the harder stuff. He was still taking pills every week like normal, like his normal routine, was still getting high all the time and had no idea that that's why he was walking around with shame and guilt because he had never learned what conviction of the Holy Spirit was. And for two years, this man came to church high, struggling with guilt and shame and wondering why he could never move forward in Christ. He finally had the epiphany, changed his habits, changed his lifestyle, and he was like, I'm no longer ashamed. And the pastor's sitting back, and the pastor, he told me, he's like, I don't know how this man attended my church two years and never knew we didn't get high. That was his first thought. Like, I need to change the whether I'm preaching or something. Like, something ain't right here. But it was something so simple. It wasn't that he was wrong. He was this bad guy. It was something in his habit. Something in the way that he was living was just wrong. But once he reset the habit and began living correctly, his life improved. Because if there's one statement I want you to remember from this message this morning is that kingdom habits produce kingdom results. Kingdom habits produce kingdom results. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 99% of, before I read this, 99% of the time I believe our motives are right. We have the right intention. I give Christians the benefit of the doubt all the time. Even if somebody makes me mad, I'm like, nope, they didn't mean it. I'm giving them grace. I just love to give grace as much as I can. But <coughs> even though our attentions are right, we fall short the vast majority of the time. And most of the time we fall short. It's not because our intentions are bad, but it's that our habits are. Did you know that up to 40, mostly the average is about 40% of your life daily is dictated by habit. You do things out of habit. And I bet you right now if you stopped and thought, you could realize there are things that you do that you don't realize you do based upon habit. This message is going to be a lot more practical than I usually preach. But when I was writing out this sermon series, the Lord told me I had to get here and do this with resetting your habits. Because how in the world am I going to be able to grow effectively in Christ if my habits, the things I'm doing almost involuntarily, are broken and causing me to live a life that's going to be against or a hindrance to who God wants me to be. So pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. God, I pray you give me the grace to just teach this message the way you want it done. God, that you could cause us to examine our lives 
examine the habits that we've created and help us to break them, get free from them in Jesus' name, and move forward in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We're back in 2 Kings 6 like last week. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. (coughs) And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. If you got your pen, I want you to circle or underline, Elisha prayed. We're going to count it. That's number one. And the Lord said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. (coughs) So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed, number two, and said, strike this people, I pray, number three, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way near the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And so it was when he had come to Samaria that Elisha said, what's he doing again? Oh, that's right. He's praying. Number four. Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes. And when they saw, they were inside Samaria. Let me give you the backstory, or at least like the summary of that. Prophet and the man of God are in this city. The prophet is telling the king of Israel everything that the king of Syria is doing. So they go to fight. They go to battle. Syria makes a plan. The Lord tells Elisha. Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel, hey, this is where they're going to be. So he goes and cuts them off, and they lose. (coughs) So he says, you know what? Forget this. I'm not going to try and beat Israel. I'm going to just go kill the prophet. So he sends an army and surrounds the city. And the, the servant wakes up and looks out and sees this army. And he's like, man, this is a problem. We're surrounded. He goes back inside. And the prophet says, hey, don't worry about it. There's more with us than those that are against us. And he prays, Lord, open their eyes. So then the prophet walks outside. First he prays, blind the army. So the army, go, they can't see. And he's, Now, I don't believe that they couldn't see, like, blind. I believe they were blinded to the truth. They were blinded to who Elisha was. He says, hey, this isn't the the right place let me take you to where it is he takes them over to samaria which is part of the kingdom of israel and they he brings them inside the city and basically turns them into prisoners of war that quick but if you notice every single time in this story that something had to happen that something needed to be done a decision had to be made an action step had to be taken what did it say elisha did he prayed so i think it would be safe to say that elisha had a habit of prayer now, if you were in the class Thursday night, and you can hear me say this the rest of the month, the quote I've been using is by Leonard Ravenhill, if we fail in prayer, we fail everywhere. If we fail in prayer, we fail everywhere. And so Elisha here is, is, has developed a lifestyle, a habit <coughs> of prayer. Whenever he, whatever he saw, whatever he felt, or whatever he heard, his response was to pray. It was this habit that determined his outcome. The reason we know that Elisha knew there was more with him than those that were against him in the very beginning of the story is because Elisha was a man of prayer. And it was just part of his habit. It's just what he did. And because of that, he knew that God had his back. Now, my question for this passage would be, I would love to know what would happen if Elijah wasn't praying. Most likely, Elisha wakes up and sees the army and freaks out like the rest of us would. There's an army coming to kill us. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is a problem. And then he probably ends up a prisoner of the king. And his ministry is over because he wasn't praying. That's most likely what happens. But instead, because he has a habit of prayer, he does this over and over again. Now, 
Elijah's not the only person. I'm going to show you a few more people this morning. Look at, let's go to Luke chapter 5. <coughs> However, 5.16. However, the report went out concerning him all the more, and the great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Verse 5.16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. This is Jesus saying that he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Sounds like a habit. I often brush my teeth. I often put on deodorant, praise God. I often do these things. They're a habit. The earthly ministry Jesus did was a direct result of the prayer life that he had. Jesus didn't pray so that he could minister, but it was because he prayed he was able to minister because of the connection he had with the Father. But it was the habit. It was the constant, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray. Now, before you think I'm only talking about prayer, I want to show you another one. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1. <coughs> the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe what to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God tells Joshua to meditate on the word. Well, meditating on the word doesn't mean that I read it and I put it down and I walk away. Meditating is I take something with me, and I think about it all day. I stay in it. I study it. I chew on it. I want to read it and then stop, and I read it again. I, I believe that, <coughs> for me, the most effective way to read the Bible is as slow as possible. Because I want, to, I want to read every word. I want to know what every possible thing is saying. But it's a habit that Joshua had to create. Because I don't know about you, but praying is not something my flesh desires to do. Reading the Bible is something my flesh desires to do. My flesh desires to eat king cake, sleep late, and hang out. That's what my flesh desires to do. I have to uh, get reset my perspective. I have to get disciplined. I have to be devoted to Jesus. And I have to do these things and make habits in my life if I want these kingdom results. A lot of times we read the Bible and we read books and we hear testimonies of what God is doing. And all these amazing men and women of God in history and today. And we wonder, man, why is God moving in their lives like that and he's not moving? Moving in mind. Well, I can guarantee you, if you sat down with them, they're not going to tell you about some special, crazy, one time off they had with Jesus at some special conference. They're going to tell you about the habits that they have that they do day in and day out, and that is what makes them who they are in Christ. And a lot of times, I think in spirit filled churches, we, we, we don't mean to, but we diminish the practical and glorify the supernatural. When I believe that the key to the supernatural is the practical. And so when we're looking at this, there are other people. David had a heart of worship. He had a habit of worship. He would spend all this time with his heart out with the sheep. And David wrote psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm that we read today in the midst of our pain and suffering and joy and all of our emotions. I believe that the book of Psalms is if the Bible had a Facebook, that's what it would be. It would be Psalms. Because if you read it, David's like, I hate my life. Everybody sucks. They're trying to kill me, but God's faithful. That's like everybody. That's like the Christian Facebook feed. I'm still single, but God loves me. My spouse is dumb, but God loves me. My kids are crazy, but God loves me. And then, look at this awesome plate of food I had. God's good. If that's not the book of Psalms, I don't know what is. 
But David had a habit of worship. And it was, he did this over and over and over again. And I think it would be safe to say that if Jesus Christ, David, and Paul, and Joshua all needed kingdom habits, we, we need them. We need them. Now, <coughs> if you would allow me, can I get practical for a minute? Like real practical? Is that okay? I mean, I'm going to do it anyway. I just want you, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just seeing if y'all want to come with me for a minute, right? I want you to remember this statement because I've found this to be the most, one of the most true statements about life ever. Is we don't rise to the level of our potential. We fall to the level of our habits. We don't rise to the level of our potential. We fall to the level of our habits. And I want to I give, give you some personal uh, example on this before I dive in a little further. <coughs> I have been in ministry a long time. Um, this, I think it's this July, I think. I think this July, I'd have to double check that, but I think this July will make 20 years that I've been preaching. And I've been in ministry since I was, really since I was eight, if we're going to be technical. Bless you. And in that, I've seen a lot of things go up and down and ebb and flow and people come, people go and all these different things. But I've learned something about myself. That whenever ministry shows up with a crisis, and there's a problem, an issue, what I tend to do is I tend to shut off everything else that's going on. I begin to pull all the energy from my relationships, from my personal schedule and life and time and calendar. I pull away from everything else and put all my thought energy, all my physical energy into solving whatever the ministry problem is. If you talk to Caitlin, when we lost the roof in Chalmette, I don't know if I had a conversation with my kids for two days. I didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional. But my mind went to such a place of I have to figure out what to do with this situation because I'm responsible for this situation that I withdrew from all of these other things to put all my energy into this one particular area. And I have now realized that that is a habit that I have because at the end of the day, if I'm responsible for it, I'm nervous that I'm not going to be able to pull it off. So I withdraw from everything to put all my energy into solving a problem. It's a habit. I look back over my life. Once a little reveal this something, I look back over my life and I realize this was the case in school. I was I was never the kid that kind of got um, a reward internally from getting good grades. I don't know why. It just never was a thing for me. I struggled with that, even as a little kid. Like I got an A. Okay, like that's kind of how I felt. I was never like an A. Woo! It wasn't me. And so I struggled with that. But I knew the consequence. If I got certain grades or if I didn't pass. And so what I would tend to do is I would just kind of hang out all year and get like C's, D's, the occasional B. But then when it was time to pass the final, I would study like crazy and get an A. And my dad would always say, why don't you do that throughout the year? And the final wouldn't matter. But they were like four grades in a row. I had to, you ever been in where you got to pass final to pass class? You ever had that happen? Right, right. That was me. Right, all math, ever, just math. It's gonna come down to the wire every time. But I noticed that there was a habit that I created that when it was time to study for the geometry final, I ain't talking to nobody. I ain't playing no video games. I ain't going outside to play because I gotta prepare this final. And I just shut everything down and went after it. 
It's a habit that I had that I have to break because it's not healthy. But a lot of times we don't want to identify things in our lives that are broken because we're comfortable with the things we've always done. But if I were to tell you, <laughs> if you had a habit every morning of waking up and ramming your head against the wall, but complained of living with a headache. And you came to me and you said, Pastor Chris, I need some advice. I'm like, okay, I have a problem. I live with a headache. Man, that's crazy. Why do you live with a headache? I don't really know. Well, like, wh what are you doing? Well, every morning I wake up, brush my teeth, smack my head against the wall, get dressed, and then go to work. Wait, hold on, run that back? Every morning I get up, brush my teeth, get ready, hit my head against the wall, and then go to work. Why are you hitting your head against the wall? I don't know. I've always done it. Well, how about we stop hitting our head against the wall and see if the headache goes away? But I've done it for 20 years. I understand. But there's a good probability that the reason you're living with a headache is because you're smacking your head against the wall every morning. This is obviously a ridiculous example, but it's a very accurate example. There are things that we do day in and day out that we do not realize are having a drastic impact on why we feel the way we feel, work the way we work, love people the way we love people, and, and our lives are the way that they are, and we don't realize it. And what we tend to do, Lord, help me, Jesus, what we tend to do is we tend to say, God, I need you to move on my life, and we go to a conference, and we want somebody to lay hands on us and change the situation, when in reality, God wants us to just take a little bit of ownership and responsibility and say, you know what, I should probably stop hitting my head against the wall every morning right now i'm about to say it's not very spiritual it's okay because i believe the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous if you want to really learn how to do this kind of stuff read the book atomic habits by james clear i think this is his name phenomenal book read the book atomic habits by james clear i'm going to give you some of those things this morning we're going to talk about habits and how to break them and how to redo them Atomic Habits by James Clear. Atomic, the atomic bomb, atomic habit. Now, habits are formed by what's called a feedback loop. You got the cue, you got a craving, you got a response, and you have a reward. That's how it works over and over and over again. Pastor Chris, what is that? Let me try explaining to you. A cue is you're sitting at your desk, you're sitting at your kitchen table, you're sitting in your chair, whatever, and your phone goes, <laughs> lights up. That's the cue. The craving is, oh, I got to know who that is. <laughs> I got to know, what if I'm missing out? What if, you know, whatever. I got to see what it is. Then the response is what? I grab my phone. Then I see what it is. And it was that dumb auto response thing that you never actually want to know about. The weather tomorrow is 67 degrees. You get all excited for nothing. Okay, well, they put it down. Then a few minutes later, <laughs> oh, happens again. <laughs> Q. Craving. I got to know what it is. Grab the phone. That's my response. I check it. The reward is, oh, I see what it is. It's a habit. reason why I know this is because I hate notifications on my phone. I hate them. If I look and there's a, a red number, oh, it's getting checked. If you show me your phone and you got like 50,000 emails, I want to punt your phone across the street. 
I want to take it, and I want to drop kick it across the street. And I think you're irresponsible. I'm just kidding. But, no, I'm not. But it drives me nuts. Like, I remember years ago when I was on Facebook, I didn't know what notifications were. Like, the little, like somebody, I didn't know what they were. When I finally found out that I could get rid of that number in the top corner of my app, y'all, I had like 300 of them. I went through all of them and clicked every single button because I couldn't stand the notification. I hate it. So when my phone buzzes, I don't check it because I want to see who it is half the time. I'm checking it so it will stop beeping and the notification will go away. I hate it, but it's a habit. So when my phone goes, I grab it because it's a craving. I got to get rid of the alert. I grab it, click it, boom, get up, put it down. The alert's gone. Happens over and over and over again. We don't realize we're doing this. What about this? You get up and you're leaving for work in the morning. Every morning you drive past that donut shop. And you smell the hot, glorious goodness of donuts. And you're like, you know what? I need a donut. You don't actually need one. But because you drive past that donut shop every time and you smell it, you're like, oh, I need to get one. So your response is you pull in. And you get a Boston cream. If you mean, you get a Boston cream. And, and, and if you're not, it's fine, but you're missing out. Get a Boston cream. And then you go on about your merry business and you eat the donut. And the reward is, I just ate a donut. This is the, the feedback loop, right? But if we, if we think about how this could also be a problem, can, can, can we make it a problem real quick? Is that okay? In my life, I got this one relationship that stresses me out. Causes problems, causes chaos in my life. So the cue is that person cuts up and acts foolish. Or messages me or calls. And the cue is that person's in my life. They're doing something foolish again. Or the cue causes a craving. I got to do something to get rid of that. Something to distract me from that. Because it's destructive and it's toxic and I got to get rid of it. So the craving is, you know what, I need, I need a drink. Because that person hurt me so much, they destroy. i got to get me a drink. So I get up the response, I go get a drink. I get up and go to the fridge, go to the bar, get a drink. <coughs> and the reward is now temporarily this drink is going to make me forget about the toxicity of the message I just got. When in reality, what's going to happen is the drink's going to wear off and the message will still be on the phone. Yeah, and see, what the enemy does is he, you don't realize you're doing this, but you are literally creating your own bondage. You're creating your, you are putting yourself in, in, in the mummy wrap. When you were a kid, did you ever do that? Did you ever, I mean, when I was in youth ministry and I was younger, we did all kind of crazy games. One of them was we had to take toilet paper and hold it and spin, and the first person to mummy themselves won, right? Like it was a really dumb game, really dumb, because the kid get, always gets dizzy and falls and paper rips. Anyway, but that's what, that's what we're doing when we don't realize when we're acting in our flesh, trying to avoid pain, avoid hurt, avoid problems, we're wrapping ourselves up in bondage, and then we create a bondage that eventually, because sin is, there is no bottom to it. So the cue stays the same, but the craving quits working. I mean, the reward quits working. So the craving is, I need more than just the one drink. Now I need two. Now I need three. Now I need five. Now I need ten. Now I'm living perpetually drunk, except now the cue for my toxicity isn't the text message, it's my own life. My own life is a wreck. So now the craving is i got to fix my own life. Well, how do I fix my life? The same way I fixed every other problem, just get drunk more and get drunk more and get drunk more. And the next thing I know, I've created this massive cycle of toxicity. And then what we do is we come to church on a Sunday morning. We go to an encounter retreat, 
And the power of God breaks the bondage of alcoholism and addiction off of our lives. And we are absolutely set free by the power of God. And alcohol has no more hold over us. But you know what we didn't get delivered from? The habit. And you're free from the alcohol. But you're not free from the habit. Because, yes, do I believe God can supernaturally break a habit? Absolutely, I believe supernaturally break a habit. But I do believe that we have a responsibility as Christians to walk out our freedom. We blame God not delivering us for really it's our own irresponsibility a lot of the times. So what ends up happening is we get set free from the bond. You can't get yourself free from alcohol instantaneously. That's a power. That's the power of God. I've watched it happen. I have watched it happen. What we don't do is we don't get free from the bondage. We stop and don't follow through to get healing from the cue. See, it's the healing from the wound that caused the trigger that made me crave something. The cue is essentially the trigger. So what I've got to do is I've got to allow God, not only do I have to allow him to set me free from the bondage and the reward and the craving and the response, but I let him heal me of that cue, of that trigger. And see, that's what we're scared of. Because, see, if letting God heal me of a trigger means i got to let, I got to expose my heart. I got to expose the fact that I was raped at nine. I got to expose the fact that my daddy beat me and my mama every night. I got to expose the fact that there's massive trauma in my past that I'm ashamed of and I don't want nobody to know about. But I've got to do this. And see, one of the things we do at the Encounter Weekend is we help you identify those things that hurt you and the trauma and the pain from the past and we help you get set free from the bondage. But I've met so many people who have gone on encounters. They've been, they've been healed. They identified the problem. They've been free from the bondage. But they never go home and redo the habit. Because what happens, y'all know the story. This isn't even in my notes. It's in Matthew where we talk about on the encounter. That when you, when, when you go and clean out a house, <coughs> you get the enemy out. But you don't fill it. The enemy sees it's empty and he comes back. We had a guy when I was younger going on an encounter retreat. And y'all have heard these stories before. Goes on the encounter. I'll just tell you a story about a young lady. Forget the guy. Young lady, I youth pastor. She gets saved from a pretty rough lifestyle. Her mama was on, uh, was basically on suicide watch from the time she was in first grade on. She was doing her own laundry, catch, fixing herself breakfast and catching the bus to go to school in third grade by herself. At eight, nine years old, she's raising herself. So by 15, she done had enough, obviously. And so she's broken, she's angry, and she's living where else she gets saved. She's living for Jesus. And the boyfriend she lost, the boyfriend she really, she slept with somebody first, but the guy she really gave her heart to came back in her life. And I remember having a conversation with her, and I remember saying, I said, girl, I said, don't go back with him. It's like, no, I'm different this time. I said, you may be, but he's not. And there's still things in you that are going to be attracted to things in him, and it's going to put you back in the same cycle of bondage, except it'll be worse. The worst thing that this little girl had done before that was she had gotten drunk a few times. She had smoked some weed. She got back with him, and she was in full-blown addiction in about six weeks. Why? Because she never allowed God to truly heal the trauma 
which left an open hole. She never refilled her life full of the kingdom habits, which create kingdom outcomes. She never did that. And because of that, when, when old boy come back around, she fell right back into the trap. So we got these busted up habits. If you've never been on an encounter, sign up today before you leave. Amen. I'm serious. Sign up today. But here's the, the thing that I realized. It, it's only half the job is getting rid of old habits and bad ones. The other part is making new ones. And that's how I'm going to close the message today is, is having us understand how we make new ones. It's the same thing. There's a cue or a trigger. <coughs> Sorry. There's a craving. There's a response. And there's a reward. Well, I need something to trigger me to read my Bible every morning. What is it? Well, what can you do? Is it a note on your phone? For me, what helps is when I remember how or one of us goes and puts the coffee on the night before so it makes itself in the morning. Bless God. <coughs> and you lay in bed and that alarm goes off and you just go, yes, Lord. <laughs> Boom. But I got to have a note on my phone, what usually is some kind of insulting wake-up call, like wake up stupid, something like that. But it's a trigger that reminds me I got to get up. Because, see, eventually the cue needs to become a pattern needs to become a routine because I won't have a craving for something at the beginning. I won't have a craving to get up at 5 in the beginning. But if I have a cue that makes me get up at 5, I get up at 5 enough, it'll become a craving. My body will want it. It's like going to the gym. You eventually want to go to the gym. Your body hurts if you don't go to the gym. Eventually, your spirit man, your flesh will cry out for the living God like Psalm says. Because why? Because I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. So I make a cue. I make some kind of reminder. I remember one guy, <coughs> one of my teenagers, he was struggling to read his Bible every day. I said, what's the first thing you do in the morning? He said, I go to the bathroom and brush my teeth. I said, use your toothbrush as your bookmark in your Bible. You know what my man did? My man put his toothbrush in his Bible. Not, 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 the, not the part in the mouth, the bottom, the handle. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like that. But every morning, he had to, literally had to open his Bible the way he read it before to get his toothbrush. So he brushed his teeth, he would dry his toothbrush off, he'd read the Bible at the bathroom counter, he'd put the toothbrush back in, close the Bible, bring back the next day. But eventually, he created a habit that he didn't, need, he didn't need his toothbrush in his Bible anymore because he had created the habit. So I've got to have the cue or the trigger. Then I've got to have the craving. It creates, I want what I felt yesterday. I enjoy the way I felt the day before, so I want to do it again. The response I get up to do it, the reward is I begin to see the benefit of the kingdom in my life. Please don't think that one supernatural snap is going to automatically bring freedom and deliverance and happiness and health and unicorns and rainbows for the rest of your life because you got laid hands on an altar one time. Please recognize that there are things that you and I have to be responsible for. We have to take the initiative and the ownership of the fact that I've been given the greatest gift anyone has ever been given, and it's salvation through Jesus Christ. My sin has been paid for. My past has been erased. It holds no hold over me any longer. I am free from the very things that almost ended my life. I'm done from it. I'm not going back to it anymore in Jesus' name. And I could take that gift, and I could use the same power that set me free. The same power that got me off drugs, the same problem that got me off alcohol, the same problem that got me out of that relationship, the same power, I can bring that over into my life now and say instead 
of just living, man, I was set free. No, I'm going to use the same power, help me create habits to be the man of God, the woman of God he called me to be. I'm going to create the habits that not only am I set free, but he's going to use me to bring freedom to other people. But it's all through habits. It's all through habits. <coughs> you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I don't really... I don't really know how to do it. The first thing for your cue is make it obvious. Just make it abundantly obvious. This is what I'm doing. The trigger, make it attractive. Figure out a way to make whatever habit, you're, whatever kingdom habit you're about to start, make it attractive. What is attractive to you about being knowing more of the word? What is attractive to you about praying more? What is attractive about being more sensitive to the spirit? What is attractive to you about these things? Put that out there. The response, make it easy. Make it easy. If you don't have a devotion life right now, do not try to get up at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning and pray for two hours. Don't do it. Make it easy. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it is. And then make it satisfying. Now, I don't need to tell you how to make it satisfying. Jesus will. He makes it satisfying. You may be saying, well, Pastor Chris, I've just, I've jacked it up so many times. I start things, and I don't finish them all the time, and I need, I feel like I need a fresh kickstart. Well, that's what the Empower Conference is for. That's what prayer on Thursday night is for. It's to help you get relaunched, restarted into the things that God has called you to do. Because the bottom line is, is that I'm no different than you. I struggle to get habits formed in my life just as much as anybody else. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, I can be who he's called me to be by putting in the daily things that are going to turn me into that person. I was listening to an old preacher one time. (coughs) And this guy had a very public ministry fall. Like nationally recognized fall. And he's 88 years old right now. And he was interviewed, this is, I think it was like last week. And they asked him, what, what's the number one thing you've learned from your life with God? And he starts tearing up. He takes his glasses off, wipes his eyes. And he said, I think the number one thing I've learned is that God can work with a failure. But God can't work with a quitter. God can work with a failure. But he can't work with a quitter. You may say, Pastor Chris, I failed. Mm-hmm. Me too. I failed again. Me too. I failed last week. Me too. I failed this morning. Me too. I ain't failing on purpose, but I'm failing because I'm human. God can work with that. He can't work with a quitter. Pastor Chris, I've tried to make these new habits. I've tried to read my Bible every day, and I just can't do it. Try again. Ask the Lord, say, Lord, I want to do this. Help me. Give me the strength. Give me a cue. Help me with a pattern. Help me with something. Some of you, the trigger needs to be accountability. The trigger needs to be, Ashley, text me every morning when you get up to read and pray, and don't leave me alone till I respond back with a picture that I'm reading my Bible. Y'all know Adam Brown. A lot of y'all know Adam Brown from Shell Met, right? Him and I used to work together, and he was, <coughs> he was struggling with getting his devotion life consistent every day. And so he told me, he said, 
I'm not eating until I read my Bible. Like, okay. But to do that, he wouldn't eat at home to make sure that he was accountable. So he would come, he would, he would come to work, he would read his Bible, and then he'd be able to eat. But there'd be some days, and I still look back, he was probably 21, 22 with this amount of discipline. He would come to work, and if he didn't read in the morning or didn't read early in the day, he wouldn't eat. There was some days he never ate all day long, never did nothing all day long, worked the whole day with no, no food because he hadn't read his Bible yet. And at 6 o'clock, we got off. First thing he did was read his Bible, and then he went and had a big old dinner because he was determined, I'm going to figure out a way to cue myself, to trigger myself into doing the things that God wants me to do. You may say, I can't do it. No, no, God works with a failure. He can't work with a quitter. The reason why I know he works with a failure is because he died for him. For all have sinned and fallen short. All. Not some, not many, not everybody in this certain place or whatever. Every single person has fallen short and sinned. And in the midst of that failure, he sent Jesus to die for you and me. Would you bow your heads this morning? <coughs> you may be here this morning. You may say, Pastor Chris, I'm tired. I'm tired of the life I've been living. I'm tired of the, the cycle I've been in, the pain I've been in, the trouble I've been in, the addiction I've been in, the heartache I've been in. I'm tired of it. <coughs> you may be sitting there right now, and there's, there's something happening to you in your, in your gut. That's the Holy Spirit grabbing your heart and saying, I want to work with you. You hear this morning, you can say, Pastor Chris, I want to give my life to Jesus. Because I'm not 100% positive where I'm going to spend eternity. Because see, you can't have the habits I'm talking about without the strength and the spirit that I'm talking about. And that spirit only comes from Jesus. So if you're here, you can say, Pastor Chris, I just want to give my life to Jesus. For the first time, or I've blown it, I want to recommit. Just slip your hand and put it right back down. Just wait a second on that. If you can say, Pastor Chris, I just need Jesus for whatever reason. Now, maybe here today. You can say, Pastor Chris, I got some funky habits I got to get rid of. I got some things in my life that I know I shouldn't be doing, but I just keep doing them. If that's you, come out of your seat.
Now, if you're here, up here, because there's some funky habits you got to get rid of, I'm going to ask if you've never been on the encounter, sign up. If you have been on the encounter and you need to go again, go again. But I want you to close your eyes, just lift your hands to heaven. And I just want you to begin to surrender that habit to him, whatever it is. Just whatever it is, just surrender that habit to Jesus.